You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Now, you would say to yourself, you know, like, who's going to eat a bug? Uh, at least in our part of the world. Um, and on some level, you're right. But what you, so here, where it gets really uh, uh, thorny um, is that we do eat some things from time to time that are bug-derived, right? So what Bonnie mentioned before is that some uh, food colorings um, uh, are from time to time derived from uh, from from you know, uh, bug-produced dye. Um, yeah, that's why when does it become the bar Okay, so um, so that's a that's a that's an excellent question. Okay. Um, but uh, um, there are other but there are other things too that, and I want to make sure that we get in, into this, um, which is that um, you know not all bugs um, are are easily visible to the naked eye, right? Um, so it's not like every bug is a giant cricket. Um, uh, so, uh, um, fruits and vegetables very often have little bugs. Um, uh, so, uh, now, uh, which means that um, um, a person has an obligation uh, to make sure that what they eat doesn't have bugs in it, right? Um, uh, now, if you accidentally eat a bug, it, it, kosher system is, has a lot of leeway for, for accidental things. Um, so I accidentally eat a bug. I washed, I washed my lettuce. I did a, as good a job as I could, and there happened to be a bug in it that I didn't realize. Um, you know, um, I bit into my apple, and there's, now I, all of a sudden I find out there's like a half a worm in my apple, right? Uh, like, how was I going to know that? Like, I didn't see a hole in it. I washed it up, right? Okay, so fine. You have, you have leeway with, the, with that sort of thing. Um, uh, but, but from the front end, you have uh, an obligation to, to check to the best of your ability and to, uh, um, and to you know, wash off to the best of your ability to make sure that there aren't bugs on it. There are, and this is one of the things I think that distinguishes um, um, conservative practice from orthodox practice, um, because in the orthodox world, um, uh, it's become increasingly common to be increasingly paranoid about uh, the presence of bugs in, uh, in produce. Um, you know, so, uh, so, so much that, like, you know, there are people who, like, hold their lettuce leaves up to, like, uh, UV light so that they could see if there are, like, bugs pe- peeking through. There are certain, like, the Chicago Rabbinical Council, I think a couple years ago, banned asparagus because you couldn't check under all the little things. So, frankly, I think that that is um, overboard. Um, uh, I don't think that uh, that Jewish law intended um, uh, for us to be so paranoid about bugs that we basically couldn't eat anything without, like, you know, x-ray inspection. Um, uh, not the least of which is that in the ancient world, they didn't have x-rays, they didn't have UV light, they didn't have things like that. So um, I think what the, what the tradition says is um, that uh, you should do due, dil- due diligence. Um, due, due diligence um, doesn't necessarily need to be more sophisticated than people would have had in the ancient world. Um, and, uh, and, and then you can uh, eat with, with uh, satisfaction that you've done as best you can. Um, and uh, uh, if, uh, if there happened to have been a bug in it, you know, that, that's, you know, between, that God will sort it out, right? Um, so, uh, but, but that comes from here, right? So that means that um, 
that that to the best of one's ability, one needs to avo- uh, avoid doing it, even in places eating bugs, um, even in places where you think that they might not be. Okay. Um, Is that what you're talking about? I mean, I, when that's a triple washing, and and literally, I've seen people pouring dishwashing soap onto strawberries. Right. Oh. Right. Yeah, I mean that's what that's. But but the following question would be. When I'm buying lettuce... But I don't think you need to triple wash. What? I don't think you need to triple wash. Right. But now... I think when, you need to rinse. Rinse them Well, but when you're buying lettuce, there's kosher... I mean, there's a Stark A1. Yes. Right. And I think that that is uh, one of the areas, remember I mentioned before, that as the kosher industry becomes a, a business... Um, uh, You'll find start finding kosher certification on things that don't really need it. Um, uh, fresh fruit and vegetables, even prepackaged vegetables, uh, so long as they're not cooked um, or you know processed with additional ingredients in any way, um, don't require kosher certification. So even if sometimes the lettuce, and I, I, this is a question that's come up as a mashgiach and stuff, mm-hmm. that I'll buy, I'll see the lettuce and I'll have a star K. Fresh Express does this, and then the next one doesn't have a star K. So the question became, well, why don't they have a star K on this one? Is there a reason why? Produced in a different, most likely produced in a different uh, 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 processing plant that, you know, uh, didn't yet have the supervision. There are any number of reasons, uh, but most likely the answer is not because they rubbed pig skin all over those pieces of lettuce. So you're fine with both, even if, it would, even if the bag of lettuce doesn't have a K? If it's raw lettuce, just yeah. like cut up, yeah. Cut up lettuce, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's fine. Even if it's cut? Yeah, so we'll talk about knives hopefully uh, later, but, uh, but, but yes, that's Even, fine. What about frozen vegetables and fruit? Frozen vegetables, as long as they were uh, like, like flash frozen raw, even if they're cut up, but if they're flash frozen raw, then they're fine. Then those are okay? Mm-hmm. Oh. Edamame is cooked, though, I will tell you that much. I don't think yeah. Can you uh, different rules for cut vegetables if it's Passover? <laughs> uh, maybe. Let's talk about it closer to Passover time. Um, okay. Um, um, so, um, the, you know, the, the, in theory, why people are a little bit more careful with frozen vegetables is because, um, um, because there's a, the presumption of, like, more processing, right? And, and, and well, with more processing comes right. So I mean, that, that that's the truth is that on some for some things, the only way that you might know is by calling the company and saying, was there any cooking involved? And we'll get to why cooking is an issue, um, um, hopefully tonight. Um, but uh, um, uh, but if cooking was not involved, I would say, you know if there was no heat applied to the vegetables, um, then um, then even if they were cut um, uh, and put in the bag and then frozen, they would be fine. But then, like, if you bought fra- frozen peaches that had been had the skin had the uh, skin removed, they would have to have an extra because they use heat right. to take the, the skin off. So if that's so the case, was, then yeah, there was, there was yeah. A, yeah. Um, right. So that's that that might be a challenge with some frozen vegetables too, depending on what the vegetable is. The other one right. I heard was to stay away from the stuff from China. No, no, I'm not being funny. I'm being because they felt that that really wasn't supervised. Yeah. Um, all right. So this. So uh, I can't necessarily. I can't necessarily speak to uh, I mean, to that. Again, but those are the rules that we're talking 
But listen, I mean, what we're saying, what we're saying is, what are the things that may not need supervision? And I'm not so sure that just because it came from China and it wasn't supervised, it makes it any different than something that came from Mexico or the U.S. that wasn't supervised. Right. Um, so uh, right, let's 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 get through the rest of this, and we'll because um, some of the because some of the issues that are related to this, um, we need a little bit more information to be able to talk about with intelligence. Okay, um, not that you're not intel- not that you're not, but I mean like with with right. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Bonnie, will you read the next piece? Sorry, you're 24. Yeah. And the following shall make you unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses shall be unclean until evening. I'm assuming the 25 is really a little 25. Yeah, sorry. Until you're 25 years old. Whoever carries the carcasses of any of them shall wash his clothes or her clothes and be unclean until evening. Every animal that has true hoofs but without the clefts through the hoofs or does not chew the cud, they are unclean for you. Whoever touches them shall be unclean. Also, all animals that walk on fours, among those that walk on fours, are unclean for you. Whoever touches their carcasses shall be unclean until evening. And anyone who carries their carcasses shall wash his clothes and remain unclean until evening. They are unclean for you. We didn't get a lot of new information there except for the pause thing, but that was sort of implied in the, in the previous section. All right, keep on going, Bonnie. Yeah, all right. We can we can we can stop there because that that's basically that's getting into like our arcana of uh, of biblical purity, and we don't need to really get into that. Um, but uh, um, although some of the issues are 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 where some of the like uh, um, laws of related to cooking stuff come from, but we still don't need to like really get into them. But okay, so now we have um, another category which um, is related to April's question before about amphibians. I think amphibians would would, would basically fall into this category, um, but. Uh, um, they might, they might, depending on. Um, I haven't really read a lot of interpretation. I think you know, sort of like generally halakhically presumed that the amphibians are not co- which whether they fall into this category or the water animal category is right. Yeah, um, but but no gator, right? No gator, no uh, no lizards, no no snakes, etc. Okay. Even if it tastes like chicken, even if it tastes like chicken. Okay. All right. So. Well, listen. I mean, now you're getting into uh, now you're getting into speculation about the rationale. But I don't know. You could be right. You could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. My glass. Does it have to do with the way that they that they reproduce? Um, is that why they're forbidden? And I said. You know, I mean, that's all, you know, unless it says it in the Torah, I don't know. Um, um, and even if it says it in the Torah, I may not know, right? Um, okay. All of that is speculation. Like, 
Well, as to the why, as to the why, There's yeah. Differences that we can make about maybe just minimizing the different types of animals that we can eat for health reasons as well. So, can you tell me what you mean by that? You said something like that earlier. That there, that there might be like a, a smaller set of. No, what, what I what I what I'm saying is that this system of laws, um, among other things that it might do, severely limits the the kinds of food that you can theoretically eat, right? So, um, so I don't mean like even within the system you might limit it more. Um, although I guess you could, you could say I don't want to eat X, Y, or Z thing that I'm permitted to eat. Um, but uh, um, but what I was saying is this sort of like a general sort of like bird's eye view about the system of laws um, is, uh, but again, it's, it's speculative. It's speculative. Yeah. I completely missed that. You know, he's making puns in bird's eye. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. So, all right. <clears throat> so now we have basically all of the categories of animals we have basically all the categories of animals that we can and can't eat, okay? And then in addition to the animals that are forbidden to us, there are, um, there are uh, 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 certain kinds of foods that are uh, forbidden even, though, even if they might theoretically be permitted, okay? So um, look at uh, number th uh, verse 39, starting with verse 39. April, will you read? Good. All right. So we'll just pause there for a second. So what that's saying is that an that an animal that has died of um, uh, of of, uh, of of any cause other than what's known as shlita. Shlita means kosher slaughter. Um, S H E C H S C H I T A. Um, yeah. No, no, I, sorry. S H E C H I T A. Shechita. Okay? Now, I, I don't want to get too deep into the details of Shechita, mainly because we're not going to be a class that learns how to actually, the verb of it would be shecht animals, um, doing the slaughter itself. My guess is that we're going to go to the grocery store and, uh, and, and buy meat that is labeled as kosher. So all this is, is to just tell you like what makes, what, 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 what informs that label that says an item is kosher, right? So first it starts with, is the animal theoretically permitted? Okay, yes or no? If you check off, it's like a flow chart. Check off yes. Right? Well, I wish I had a flowchart. I should have made a flowchart. Right? So you check off, so follow yes, right? Animal is theoretically, let's say it's a cow, theoretically permitted, okay? Um, how did it die? Okay? If the answer is like natural causes, then can't eat it. If the answer is like shot in the head, can't eat it. If the answer is, you know, Roadkill, right? Uh, can't eat it. If the answer is, uh, if the answer is, um, you know, roped by a lasso and then like um, thrown off a cliff, you can't eat it. The uh, the only way, the only thing on that flowchart that would say keep on going, right, is if 
it had shlita, which requires a, a specially trained person um, uh, known as a shochet, same root word in Hebrew. Um, uh, shochet means a slaughterer, uh, a butcher, yeah. Are you trained to do that? I am not trained to do that. Um, Correct, correct. And, and not by default is every shochet a rabbi. There's the syllogism again. Uh, right, so... Um, <laughs> there's a bit. Right, exactly, there's right, exactly. There's, there's, there's rabbi, there's like, you know, right. Um, so uh, um, the, the basic premise, the basic premise of shlita um, is that there has to be um, a, a, a clean cut um, along the neck of the animal um, that uh, um, that 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 um, doesn't completely sever, um, but slices through um, the um, if I'm not mistaken um, the there you go. What's what did you say? I think the cr- Yeah, okay, good. Fine. So anyway, it's, it's a little bit neither here nor there because we're not going to, it's a little bit neither here nor there because we're not going to be actually doing it. Right. So we're not going to uh, be doing it anyway, but uh, um, uh, a, 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 a quick cut that severs some pipe with blood. Um, uh, and uh, the, the um, uh, um, now there are all sorts of um, really important um, uh, details to the act of shlita. Um, among which, and this was one of the things that makes it very complicated, um, especially in industrial meat production, um, is uh, that um, it has to be a, a, a one horizontal motion. Okay? It can't be vertical, which means that the animal has to be um, uh, held um, uh, uh, stable and, uh, and secure so that when it is cut, it doesn't fall on the knife, right? So, um, so there's basically three different ways you can do that. One is to um, basically like hogtie the animal and put it on the ground. I just, I just want you know, the other, I, I think this is actually um, worthwhile just to kind of know. One is to hogtie the animal and put it on the ground and, uh, and, and kill it that way. The other is... Um, uh, um, What's known in, uh, as as uh, shackling and hoisting, um, so it is what it sounds like. You shackle the hooves of the animal and you hoist it upside down and you uh, slaughter it that way. Um, the third um, is sort of like an upright um, kind of uh, like box container. Parlor, right? What? Like a parlor. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, um, so in. Uh, um, after, uh, like, you know, the jungle, Upton Sinclair, all that, um, uh, uh, it was made illegal to slaughter animals on the ground. Um, and so kosher production shifted to shackling and hoisting. But you don't have to be, you know, Temple Grandin to know that um, shackling and hoisting is not a... Uh, uh, painless or um, um, uh, non-anxiety producing way to slaughter an animal. So there's a lot of uh, animal rights activists and, and you know, 
uh, people who care about kashrut, who are very concerned that even though the cut of uh, slaughtering the animal might be kosher, that it might violate another uh, law that's not directly related to whether or not the meat is uh, allowed or not, but, uh, but is nevertheless something that you're not allowed to do in Judaism, which is um, inflict pain on animals. Um, so uh, now, the, at least in America, the kosher industry has by and large shifted away from shackling and hoisting to, uh, um, to this sort of upright uh, box, um, which is um, uh, a, a more... Um, uh, uh, a more, a more uh, um, <coughs> humane, thank you, humane way of um, of, of of slaughtering an animal. Um, Is there a way to tell which one, how how an animal is slaughtered? Like, do different textures have different ways? Of unfortunately, no. <laughs> um, at least not at the moment. There, there are movements within different segments of the Jewish community to uh, to to address that, um, along with. How the um, the the meat producers, the people who are actually like working to, you know, handle the animals and process the meat, like how they're treated, because it um, turns out that um, uh, it's an industry where there's rampant abuse, um, even in the kosher uh, segments of the industry. Um, but that even hasn't really gotten a lot of traction. Um, so anyway, okay. So one element of kosher slaughter is um, is the cut. One of the um, two of the objectives of the kind of cut um, are um, that it's supposed to be a, um, a, a a quick and efficient way to drain the blood of the animal, um, which you can see at the very bottom of the page. Um, one of the things that you're not allowed to eat, um, even from a kosher animal, is blood. Right. So um, in slaughtering an animal, um, we're supposed to drain it of as much blood as possible to, to be drained. Um, and the other reason uh, that, uh, that, that the laws are such as they are for Shlita um, is, at least in theory, it's supposed to be a, um, a relatively quick and painless uh, way to, to die. Um, you know, so like the, 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 the ruling, the rules just of the knife that's supposed to be used, not even like about the cut that's supposed to be made, is basically it's supposed to be razor sharp with no, no nicks, um, you know, no serrations, um, so that, uh, so that it can't catch on anything, um, so that it's sort of like giving the animal a, a, a big paper cut, um, uh, and, and producing a, a relatively, uh, quick death, um. It's not as quick as um, uh, uh, some of the other uh, production methods that exist out there, like uh, like bolting is the most common one, which is basically like shooting an animal in the head. Um, uh, but um, it is, at least in theory, um, supposed to be uh, more uh, humane because of its intentionality, right? Like you're theoretically not supposed to be able, even though, I mean, the Torah didn't envision industrial meat production, but, uh, but even within industrial meat production, um, you can't automate shlita, right? You have, to, you have to look an animal in the eye before you take its life. Um, you have to look an animal in the eye if you're going to bolt it, too. No, you don't. It can be on a conveyor belt. Oh. It's, it's not done with a machine or something? Mm, has, to, has to be a human being. Has to be a human being. That's good. About your job, right. well, but there, but you can you can bolt. I mean, like small places use who do their own stuff do, use a bolt gun. Okay. Um, what is a bolt gun? It's, oh, do you, what was that? No, 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 no
No. It's something I wondered about. I mean, no. So yeah, I mean, this is. Yeah, I mean, here's so so again again you know all of this all of this gets into um, uh, what I would say um, is uh, speculation about rationales, right? So we actually don't have the rationales. Um, I like to tell myself the rationale because it makes me feel better about uh, kosher slaughter and, and, and food production. And I think by and large, the rationale is true. Like whether or not there might be slightly more humane ways of killing an animal than kosher slaughter, there may be. Um, but is it an inhumane way? I don't think so. Right? So uh, it's, but nowhere in the Torah does it say, kill the animal this way because it's a really nice way to go. Right. Um, it doesn't. Unfortunately, it doesn't say that. Um, uh, so you know. So we can only really um, uh, uh, guess as to the rationale. You have a question, Lisa? Yeah. Oh, okay. You have a question, Rachel? No. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So looking at our fl- at my imaginary flowchart that I that I didn't produce, right? So uh, you've uh, um, you have a kosher animal. Uh, slaughtered through shlita, it's still not uh, necessarily uh, kosher. Okay, so there's a few other things that still need to happen. First is that there's some parts of that animal, um, even after it's been slaughtered kosher, that can't be eaten. Um, we mentioned the blood can't be eaten. One of the ways in which, so there, there, there are kind of two ways the blood is drained. First is the blood is drained when the cut is made on the animal, um, but also blood is drained out um, of each kind of um, uh, uh, section of meat um, through a process known as koshering, which is uh, to, to um, soak it and salt it. Um, and uh, um, there's, a, there's sort of like a set amount of time that one needs to wait in order to do that. But you say to yourself, like, okay, I get my steak at the, at the grocery store and it still has like red stuff in it. Like, what is that? And you may be right that in theory that's blood, uh, but from the legal point of view, or at least the legal fiction that's created, is that after the process is done of soaking and salting, all that remains is meat juice, right? Uh, it's not blood anymore, it's meat juice, right? So, right. <laughs> You're welcome. You can use that anytime you like. It's been soaked and salted. Now, there is... Um, uh, in Israel, and it used to be the case uh, in America that uh, that the that the butcher would not soak and salt your meat for you. So there were, there's a generation of Jewish women uh, who you know knew how to soak and salt their own meat because um, uh, because that's just how they bought it. They didn't buy it pre-soaked and salted. They had to bring it home and do it. Um, and I, I remember I remember like sh- food shopping in Israel and like growing up in America, like everything's in cellophane. It's all like ready to go to the grocery store. But and you get that in Israel too. But like I, you know, wanted to rough it in Israel. I like went to the Machane Yehuda Market in Jerusalem, which if you go with us on our Israel trip uh, next June, you'll be able to go to as well. Um, and uh, and you can get you know uh, uh, you know fresh kosher meat there. Um, and you have to be very careful there, which I didn't you know realize. Um, it, it, the first time I was living there, that like not all of it has been pre-soaked and salted, and like you know, there's still people in Israel that like soak and salt their own meat. Um, but anyway, so but at least uh, uh, whether they do it, and usually when you buy with a kosher certification in America, um, uh, it's it's been soaked and salted. Usually, it actually says it on the label that this has been soaked and salted, in addition to the certification. What's the difference between kosher and glat kosher? Mm. Like Good. Into that? No, no, that's fine. So. Um, uh, Glot uh, is the Yiddish word for smooth. And the smooth 
uh, isn't, you know, I wish it was a reference to like the rabbi who, uh, who, uh, who certified it, but, uh, but glot, the smooth refers to the quality of the lungs. Um, so, uh, um, remember, an animal, if an animal that you may eat has died, anyone who eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes. Right? In other words, you can't eat anything that's died in a way other than shlita. The concern is that an animal with a lung defect of some sort right, um, uh, might have been in the process of dying before shlita. So, uh, so there's a custom to, um, to inspect the lungs of an animal after it's been slaughtered um, to see if the lungs are smooth. And if the lungs are smooth, then it's, uh, it's certain people, the only kosher is glot kosher um, because they say that, um, uh, that you know, if, if its lungs weren't smooth, then we can't be uh, certain that it wasn't going to die of natural causes or wasn't in the process of dying of natural causes. Um, there are other people who say, you know, like, it may be nice to have glot kosher, but it doesn't necessarily need to be glot in order to be kosher. Um, I'm in that camp. I would say that an animal can be uh, kosher even if its lungs weren't smooth. Um, although, I would say it's very hard nowadays, um, in America at least, to find meat that's been certified kosher that's not glot kosher. Um, you'd have to look hard for it, um, harder than you have to look for actual, for meat that's certified. Um, uh, just because it's just sort of like you know um, widely accepted in the in the Jewish world, and it's also it's a, in some ways a business tactic because you can charge more for meat that's certified as glot kosher. Um, you can also do things that are like totally crazy, which is like you know call a dairy product glot kosher, uh, which you know like what you check the lungs of that cheese it before you put the, your certification on it. No, but uh, but you know the people use it people. Uh, People substitute the word glot for like very, right? It's very kosher. Uh, but that's not technically what it means. It's more kosher. That's what right, more kosher, right. 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 Isn't that um, part of the competition between certification agencies is who one-ups whom right. certify? Right, or right, right. Who, who, and, and, right. And who can be more stringent than yes. the next, right? My, gen my general approach is um, when there is the possibility for a leniency, I, uh, within the framework of traditional Jewish law, I tend to take the leniency um, because I want, I have a vested interest in making kashrut as easy as possible for people. Um, so um, uh, I, I may not always take the leniency in our kitchen because I want our kitchen to be, um, uh, you know, recognizably kosher to a broader section of the community. Um, and my house, I'm a similar way, but in my own personal eating, um, and what I will tell people, you know, who are making their own homes kosher, things like that. Um, I mean, I'll give what the options are, but uh, um, I'll say it's perfectly okay to do X, Y, or Z thing, um, even if it's relying on a leniency. I just think, you know, and I think that there are certain things that are relying on leniencies that I, I don't need to list them out, but that I would do even in our kitchen. Um, cheese might be one of them, right? That there's, I think, a, a, a good argument for leniency and what kind of cheeses you can use. Um, and, you know, if we lived in Manhattan where you can find any kind of kosher cheese you want at any hour of the day or night, um, I may not be so um, uh, reliant on the leniency there. Um, but because it's really hard in Richmond to find a wide variety of, of certified kosher cheeses, um, uh, you know, I think... Now, I, now, we have to get into the cheeses thing because I actually... Um, uh, I, have, I have more to say about that. But... Um, um, well, I was telling the meat, though. Yeah. 
explain to me halal. Is that it? Halal? Halal Yeah, so I'm not so expert in halal. Um, my understanding of, uh, of Islamic law is that, you know, so a lot of the animals that uh, Muslims can and can't eat are very similar to the kind of animals we can and can't eat. Um, and um, there isn't actually a, a very, um, uh, well, sorry, the, the process for halal slaughter is, I think, similar to uh, to kosher slaughter, um, but I think is not as, there aren't as many strictures or parameters to it. Um, so, uh, and I don't know all of the details of it, I just know that in general, um, uh, Muslims are very comfortable eating meat that's certified kosher, uh, but most Jews who keep kosher aren't comfortable eating meat that's labeled halal. And I don't think that that's just political, I think that has to do with the process. Outside of the meat, there are major differences in that we can cook with wine and they can't, and other issues. Mm. So somebody asked, well, can't they just eat kosher food? And I said, for meat, it's fine, because mm-hmm. our standards are stricter, but I did a, a webinar thing, an interactive, right. with Jews, Christians, and Muslims, and there were definite differences. Right. All right, so let's let's go back to our imaginary flowchart. Right, you have your kosher animal. Um, you've uh, uh, slaughtered it the proper way. You've uh, gotten all the blood out. Um, there's, it's still not a totally a done deal because there's still a few other things that are forbidden. Um, so the first is, um, and this is mainly relevant for land animals. Um, Jews are forbidden from eating the sciatic nerve. Um, which usually translates, in, especially in industrial meat production, that Jews don't eat like any part of the hindquarters of animals. Um, uh, not that Jews aren't allowed to eat any part of the hindquarters of animals. Um, uh, I know you, as a chef, are very upset about this because uh, some of the right there's really good tenderloin and things. Like, but so you theoretically can eat that stuff. Um, you just need to make sure that you remove the sciatic nerve. And uh, that's a labor-intensive and potentially expensive process to do, so most people don't bother with it. And they, they sl- kosher slaughter the animal, cut off the hindquarters, sell the hindquarters to uh, Oscar Mayer, and you know, go on their merry way. But theoretically, like there are places in Israel and other places where you can get a real kosher filet mignon and things like that, but it's just, it, it's just costly and labor-intensive to do so. Um, you also, there are also certain parts of, other parts of, uh, of an animal that uh, can't be eaten, um, especially certain fats, um, not the fats that usually like surround the steak, but like a uh, suet, like the fats that, that sort of uh, encase different organs and, and that sort of thing that can't be eaten. Um, most organ meat, um, I think virtually all organ meat of a kosher animal can be eaten. Some of it just gets tricky in terms of draining the blood. Most like so, you can't. Why not? I'm not sure why you, why you would want to, but... But you, theori- you theoretically can so long as you can drain the blood. Right? Heart is another one that, that you theoretically can. It's just harder to drain the blood, but you can. Is roasting permitted rather than draining? Uh, uh, as far as I know, no, because roasting uh, can um, uh, encase the blood, not evaporate it. So, uh, yes, I understand, but the liver's already been soaked and salted before oh, yeah. you broil it. Yeah. This was as an alternative yeah. to removing the blood. Yeah. Not, yeah. I mean, not that I. I have to go. I have to go. Right. I have to go back and look at uh, at at, at uh, some of the law. I mean, I remember, but I, I'm pretty sure the answer is. I'm pretty sure the answer is no to that. Um, 
but 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 just just ask me again before you go to do it, and then then I'll give you your answer. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Then a couple of things. Then a couple of things that are not related to uh, the uh, to, to animals specifically. Um, well, one that is so uh, mixtures of milk and meat. Okay, we're going to spend virtually all of our next class talking about that. Um, there were some other things I wanted to get to today, but we'll just have to wait till next time. Um, uh, and uh, but but mixtures of milk and meat, I think, are um, by and large the the most complicated aspect of of uh, of the laws of kashrut. Most of the things that we're talking about are pretty easy, uh, especially in, in our time, because like I don't necessarily need to know uh, even the list of kosher land animals. Um, first of all, because most of us will only eat cow or lamb in, in, our, in our life, maybe venison, uh, but also because I would generally go to the store and buy something with kosher certification. Um, I'm not involved in the process of slaughtering and things like that. But but virtually every kosher kitchen deals with issues of, of mixtures of milk and meat or avoiding mixtures of milk and meat. And every person who, who tries to eat uh, kosher has to deal with not only, you know, uh, is this meat that I'm eating kosher, which is one area of problem, uh, but also um, is, uh, um, uh, you know, how do I avoid even the possibility of mixing milk and meat together? And we'll talk about that. Um, and, uh, and, you know, uh, that goes even into things like, do I need to separate um, time between eating meat and milk? Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. And will you also touch on the fact that chicken, which doesn't have kid, is right up there, but fish isn't? <laughs> yeah, that's the one I just can't figure that one out. Yeah, all right. So, um, you can do that. I think I remember reading a paper by somebody. On this I did. <laughs> yeah. And dip it in egg, which would be. I understand, but that that's actually not analogous. Um, well, it's a baby, kind of. No, it's not. It's not a baby, it's an egg. Yeah. It's not fertilized. Right. Okay, all right, all right. Anyways, yes, I don't understand. So, um, uh, I'll tell you what, um, anybody, anybody who wants, so I don't necessarily have to spend all my time next week talking about that issue, that one issue. Um, I wrote a paper on it. Um, and, uh, so anybody who wants it, um, uh, send me an email and I'll email you the paper. Okay. Um, about eating what? About eating ch uh, chicken and dairy. Yeah. I That's a beautiful interpretation. Yeah. yeah. I, I, um, so, uh, you know, again, I mean, like, um, in, the, in, the, in the context of this class, the, the, the issues, issues like that um, uh, get largely into um, speculation, um, interpretation, um, which is fine, which is good. I'm all for it. Um, but I, I, I want to, that's why I'm going to send you the paper instead of taking all our time in class to talk okay. about it. Can because you send it to all of us, please? Yeah. Does everybody want it? Okay, so here, so so can we can, can we just pass this paper along and you can all write your email addresses on it? Because um, I might forget, I might forget. I don't want to, I don't want to leave everybody off the list. You've already read it. Will you just pass that paper along? Yeah. Oh, she, already, Carla's already read it. Carla's already read it. I've already read it before you came. It's one of the reasons I wanted to hear. Oh, okay. Um, thank you. Right. Michael. <laughs> that's how you do it. Uh, <laughs> um, that answers that question. Um, hey, Debbie. Um, okay. The, the, uh, the final thing that uh, I think, I mean, there's some other things that 
are questionably forbidden, um, but libation wine is, uh, is a forbidden one. Now, libation wine is something that we don't really know from uh, in, in our time. Libation wine means wine that was produced by idolaters for the purposes of idolatrous worship. Okay? Again? So would this rule out most non-hectured sake? No, because it doesn't. It doesn't include. It doesn't include uh, products made from not grapes. It ah, presumes. It no presumes there. grape wine. Not that I like um, this stuff. Well, it also. Soda you have to watch out for is grape soda. It also. <laughs> no, it's not why the only soda you have to watch out for is grape soda. The only re- the reason the soda we watch have to watch out for is grape soda is is is, is silliness. But um, the, uh, <laughs> but I'll t- but so the, there are two. There are two issues here. There are two issues here. There are two issues here. One is called libation wine, right? That's wine that, like, you know. What's that? No. Yeah. No, we're learning Just, to have libation. Wait, wait. You have to hold wait, your ears. Wait, libation I like. You have to hold your ears. No, no one has to call me. Quick, I'm the ham sandwich. All right. All right, who's going to So there, who's so there, who's Okay, you can walk through, but don't <laughs> disrupt the class. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay. We're going out for Chinese. I, 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 gotta, I, I need, I need I eyeballs. Michael, I'm going to give you some names. I have months ago when I did it in the private Oh, cool. Okay. All right. So, libation wine, once again. Libation wine. Oh, my God. I know. We're almost, we're almost out of time, but let me forget. Libation wine, once again, is wine that you know was produced by idolaters for the purposes of idolatrous worship. Right? So, that's why it's libation wine. It was produced for libation. But what you need to know about that is that when the rabbis were talking about, and the Bible all the more so, were talking about idolaters, they had a specific class of people in mind and a specific kind of worship in mind. Right? They were talking about, in the Bible's case, ancient pagan Canaanite idolatry. And in the rabbi's case, they were talking about Greek and Roman idolatry. They were not, I don't think, talking about Hinduism or Buddhism. They weren't. Ta- they certainly weren't talking about Christianity. Um, so, uh, so that means that even uh, wine produced by Catholics for use in the sacrament, I'm not sure, falls into the category of libation wine. Some people will probably say it does. Maybe it does, but that might be it. I mean, like, there, there's very um, so where it gets more hairy, and what Bonnie is talking about is what's called, it's in the parentheses there at the bottom of the page, um, some say all wine produced by non-Jews. Okay? So that's a category in Hebrew, it's called Stam Yenam. Stam Yenam, it's probably in your glossary. S-T-A-M-Y-E-I-N-A-M. Stam Yenam. Um, and Stam Yenam means uh, the, the general, like, like all wines that they produce, right? All of their wines, that's what it means, all of their wine. Right? Uh, meaning, all wine produced by non-Jews, according to a rabbinic fence around the law, and a lot of kosher laws, uh, as we'll see next time, I'm talking about milk and meat, and why I drew that pretty picture that you have in your thing, um, are about fences around the laws meaning the, the things that the rabbi set up to, uh, to um, make it harder for us to violate the actual prohibition. Right, so the actual prohibition is libation wine. 
But the rabbis wanted us to uh, avoid even the possibility that the wine we would drink would be libation wine. So they set up a fence around the law, the law to say, um, you know, because of the chance that the wine produced by non-Jews might at some point be used for libations, or maybe somebody involved in the production, even if it wasn't like the stated purpose, like you know, had an idolatrous thought while they were producing the wines, um, that 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 can't uh, that that can't be consumed by Jews. Um, so um, and and that gets taken even to a further extreme. Say that all grape products uh, produced by non-Jews, not just wine, but grape products produced by non-Jews, um, are in this category of stam yenam. Um, now I don't go that far. Um, I, um, I and and uh, most of this is another area of disagreement in the conservative world and the Orthodox world. Um, most conservative Jews, I would say, who keep kosher, um, uh, uh, will drink. Uh, uh, wines produced by non-Jews, um, and and therefore will drink you know grape juice that doesn't have hexer if it's just you know if the especially if the ingredients are what I'm you know, grapes. Um, uh, um, one of the there's an additional challenge of wine that's not kosher, which is not related to the rabbinic prohibition here, which is um, that sometimes wine can. Um, uh, be produced using uh, uh, forbidden ingredients. Um, so sometimes wine is produced with uh, what they call fining agents, um, and from time to time, fining agents can be things like um, uh, like animal blood. Um, uh, in general, in American production of wine, I'm pretty sure that's actually illegal nowadays, and I think in the EU as well. Um, so, so that's why most uh, uh, conservative Jews, following a position by Rabbi Elliot Dorf, um, say that uh, um, uh, all wines produced in America, and he'd probably add to that now, all wines produced in the European Union as well, um, are fine even if they don't have a, a Hexer uh, kosher certification. Um, so um, in our in the building, um, we only allow uh, uh, wine and grape products with Hexer. Um, and in my house, I also only allow wines and great products with a, with a hexer. Um, but like in my personal practice out of the house, mm -hmm. um, I'll drink um, American and European wines, even if they don't have a hexer. And okay. also, like, I'll get Welch's great soda. Yeah. Um, but there's no grape. If, if I were, right, there's a, right. <laughs> no grape, no grapes were harmed in the production of this soda. It's water, sugar, and purple. And purple. <laughs> So I've tried to include that on all of uh, the advertising, but I don't know if it was on this one. Is I think oh, that we should, it. I think I that we should have it be BYOB as long as it's as long as the B you bring is is a kosher wine. And, and for like beer, my understanding is domestic right. beer. Okay? No, so so beer because it doesn't fall into the category and also other liquor because it doesn't fall into the category of wine. It doesn't, it doesn't matter unless you have reason to believe that it has some kind of non-kosher ingredient in it. So, like, sometimes beers are made with, like, flavorings, or you have alcohols made with, like, special flavorings and things like that. If it's, like, if it's a pure, like, distilled alcohol or a regular kind of beer... What about ginger beer? 
That's just ginger and sugar, right? I mean, yeah. Well, so I'm asking because Michael, the one thing that he likes is like this ginger beer, and it's like a secret family recipe. He makes it? Crabby. No, it's crabby. It's like the British one. They don't tell you what's in it. Oh, I see. But it's that's flavored. Com- that oh, that's yeah, yeah, that's con- that's that's right. I I would say I would say that I would say that. Can I contact the manufacturer and find out? Like, what would find, I find out more information and let's see what they say. What would I ask? You would ask them what are tell me all the ingredients that are in your. Yeah. You might be able to ask them. This is because there's a way to. Yeah. Well, so the. This is this is one of the this is one of the Jewish community's major coups in America was um, was the what was uh, um, the ability to uh, to see the secret recipe for Coca Cola in order to give they it a hexer. They never saw it. No, they never saw it. I know the guy who did it. They sent them a list of ingredients that included all the real ones. Ah, right, 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 right. All of right. them hexered, right. and then they picked the ones that they wanted in the amounts they wanted. I see. Right. I knew one of the guys involved in that. Yeah. So maybe they could the give me the list of ingredients, but not like how much it looks. Yeah. No. Right. They, they don't need to give you how much, as long as um, you know, there, there's certain things. Rabbi will let me let my husband, who won't even like ever really drink, but I found found a drink that he made. Hey, list of ingredients that includes all the ingredients. So find out what. It's like an alcoholic ginger ale. Yeah, it's um, Find out, find out for me. Yeah, it does sound good. Find out, find out what the ingredients are if you can. And they're in England. They they fly me out there to inspect their premises. Um, yeah, hard ciders is uh, fine unless it's flavored with 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 something other than like apples. Um, I mean, if you bring a, if you bring, hold on, if you bring a bottle of like kosher wine, if you bring, you don't need to check it with anybody if it's a kosher bottle of wine. Yeah, I'm just asking. You don't need to. Okay, just bring it and stick it on the table. I trust you. Bring, bring two. One for me. What? I, I don't think Hardywood Coffee Stout actually has coffee in it. Well, even anyway, even if it does, coffee is fine. But um, are you sure about that? A lot of times, a lot of times, beers that you know take on you know, flavor profiles has. So, but anyway, that would be fine. That would be fine. I can't hear the question. Okay. What are some things you would worry about? Why would the ginger, which is like a, a, a if 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 all that's in it is yeah. ginger, sugar, and water, it, there's probably nothing wrong with it, okay. right? Um, but so I need to. know. Well, listen. I mean, look at look why, at look at the look at the look at the look at the back of your um, uh, packet that we looked at tonight. And then we really gotta go because we're over time. Um, and look, I had I have an outline of fourteen things that we need to cover, and we covered one. We might need to. Okay. Yeah, we might we might need to add classes. Okay, so um, um, right. So anyway, look look through this list, and you might find things that are you know 
Um, uh, monodiglycerides, glycerin, um, grape juice, you know, um, uh, lecithin. Um, I don't, you know, so I don't know what might be in it. Sorbitol, right? So anyway, I don't know what my, sorbitol is good. I, I I don't know what might be in it. Sorbitol, sorbitol is fine. Um, <laughs> but so so anyway, so the answer to your question is it's hard to know if it's fine unless I know what the ingredients are and and. Uh, and you know, if, uh, there may, I'm sh- I, I, I think it's reasonable to presume that there's nothing wrong. The, o- the other question is not only what ingredients are in it, um, but what also might be produced in the same uh, place that they produce right. that ginger beer, right? right? Um, so, um, and chances are that's fine too, because I'm, my guess is that they're not, you know, barbecuing right. pork uh, where they're producing their ginger ale. But, uh, but they um, might be. They might be. You never. Um, <laughs> Which is which? You know, so, um, and in, and in general, in general, even like even beers with like flavorings are probably fine, right? I mean, like you know. What? Um, so it just, but it, but it just kind of, it kind of depends. I mean, like like Bonnie said, you know, sometimes uh, um, there are issues with food if there are food colorings, and you know, sometimes. You, uh, um, so uh, so there there can be issues. Um, but not all. So it's you will never eat a maraschino cherry that's not kosher again after that. You will never eat a non-kosher maraschino there you cherry. There um, Yes, there are. All right. Okay. So we're gonna we covered number we covered number one today. Feel free to <laughs> feel free to email me with your with your questions if you have them. Um, but that was basically the the premise of of what are the foods in general that are kosher or not kosher. Um, and then we'll get into some of the specifics next time about. Um, about the production of food that impacts the kashrut or not kashrut of it within kitchens and things like that.